Welcome to the Stonebridge Community Church online worship service. Today you'll hear the Word of God read, the message from this weekend's in-person service, and two songs to guide you in worship. Thanks for joining us today. Hello, everyone. So who is planning on watching the big game today? Does anybody have a strong rooting interest for either team? Anyone? Chiefs? Okay. Anybody Eagles? Oh, a few Eagles. All right, just a handful. And who's rooting for the commercials? <laughs> and will anybody be paying attention to the puppy bowl? I just learned what that was last night, but apparently that's part of this thing. Well, that's fun. Yeah, I'm excited. I, I personally love Super Bowl Sunday, um, so it should be a fun day. I do want to let you all know something very important, though. This is a milestone that we get to share together. This is my last Sunday preaching in my 30s. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I mentioned a uh, hundred times or not, but I'm turning 40 this month. So next week, I'm going to come in here so much more regal with stature and authority, and you're all going to listen perfectly. So, oh, and a belly. Big old belly. Yeah. In one week, it'll be there. So speaking of authority, that's actually one thing we're going to be talking about. We're looking in the sermon series entitled Truly Natural at the way the gospel of Mark presents Jesus and the way Mark tells us about Jesus's healings. Remember the title Truly Natural, it comes from this quote from a theologian named Jürgen Moltmann, where he wrote, Jesus's healings are not supernatural miracles in a natural world. They are the only truly natural thing in a world that is unnatural, demonized, and wounded. The world around us is broken and unnatural, and we become too used to it. And in Jesus' healings, what he shows us is a natural world, the way the world is supposed to be, the way the world was intended to be. So I'm going to be reading from Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28, and I invite you to hear the word of God. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once, his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. Please pray with me. Lord, you have gathered us this morning so that we could hear your word. So we ask that you speak to us. We ask that through your scriptures and through your Holy Spirit, you would speak your word to us. Teach us. Help us to understand what it is you've placed in our hands and what is in your hands. Help us to understand how we can use the areas in which you've given us control, Lord, and how we can submit to your control. Help us to understand how we can be more like you in this world. 
Speak to us now. We ask this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we're looking at the way the Gospel of Mark presents Matthew. And remember, each of the Gospels, sorry, presents Jesus, not Matthew. Did I say Matthew? I did say Matthew. I caught myself there. It presents Jesus to us. I don't even know who Matthew is. And remember, each of these Gospels, they have a slightly different way in which they want to present Jesus, a different angle that they're looking at. And one of the best ways to determine what that gospel is trying to teach you about Jesus or how that gospel is trying to present Jesus to you is to go and to look at Jesus's first public appearance. The first thing that he does publicly as his ministry is getting going. That's one of the best ways to see what angle that gospel is taking. So the gospel of Matthew, for instance, As that gospel begins, as Jesus begins his ministry, what is the first thing he does? He goes up on a mountain or a hill and he preaches a sermon focused on the law. Matthew presents Jesus as a teacher of the law, as somebody who reflects on the law of Moses and calls other people to embrace his interpretation of the law of Moses. In the gospel of Luke, what's the first public thing that Jesus does? He goes into a synagogue and he reads from the scroll of the book of Isaiah, a passage focused on Israel caring for the oppressed, caring for the prisoners, freedom to the captives. In the gospel of Luke, Jesus is presented as a prophet of old, like Isaiah or Elijah or Elisha, these prophets that would proclaim God's justice to the world, that would call Israel back to what God wanted them to do when it came to people who were oppressed. And in the Gospel of John, what's the first public thing that Jesus does? It's the wedding at Cana. He turns water into wine. It's the first of his signs. These signs that Jesus performs showing how God is recreating the world, taking old things and making them new. And here in the Gospel of Mark, what's the first thing Jesus does publicly? It's this story. Jesus walks into the synagogue and he performs a healing. But it's not just a healing. If you notice, there's a word that's repeated here that I already mentioned earlier. It's this healing, this teaching that Jesus does with authority. Mark presents Jesus as a healer, but as a healer with authority. In fact, nine times in this gospel, Mark will use the word authority. Nine different times. Six of those times are pointed directly and only to Jesus Three of those times focus on the authority that Jesus gives. This is a theme throughout the gospel of Mark. Jesus has authority. And when I say authority, I'm just using the standard definition. Authority is best defined as the power or right to give orders, make decisions, and enforce obedience. I'll say that again. The power or right to give orders, make decisions, and enforce obedience. That's authority. And Jesus has it in this gospel and in this story. It's funny, Jesus, going through the whole gospel of Mark, he's going to do numerous healings. He's going to do numerous exorcisms. And what's funny to me in the exorcisms with these unclean spirits, it's like Jesus is a magnet for them or something. He walks in and what's the first thing the spirit does? Starts screaming at Jesus, running towards him. I don't know about you, 
but they seem to have a clear understanding that Jesus is the one in authority and I would be running as far as I could. But for whatever reason, these spirits, it's like they know they can't escape him. They know that he's in control. So the only thing they can do is beg for mercy. That's how Mark presents Jesus to us. He's in authority. He's the one making decisions. He's the one who calls others to obedience. And he is the preeminent authority in this gospel. And in this way, I think Mark is setting Jesus up as a model for us, an example. Because the truth is, we all have a level of authority. You may not think of it that way, but we all have areas in our lives where we are the ones who make decisions. We don't think of it in terms of authority, but we all have it. Not only that, God has placed it in our hands to a certain extent. Any relationship where you make decisions, where you're interacting with somebody, there's a level of authority there. Your decisions affect other people. Family relationships, marriages. Parents have a lot of authority over their children. You may not feel it, some of you parents, but you affect them more than you ever realize. Professional relationships. Bosses have authority. And if you don't have authority over somebody else, you have an area in which you were given decision-making authority. You have something, it may seem small, but something is in your hands where you get to make the decisions. Teachers have authority over students, especially math teachers. I see you, Ben. (laughs) But we all have authority that's been placed in our hands. And the thing is, I don't know if we know how to use authority well as human beings. How should we use authority? If God has put this in our hands, how do we use it? And it's not a you thing. It's not specific to just you. But the truth is, as human beings, we don't really use authority well. And this goes all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. What we know about what was supposed to be natural what we know about how this world was supposed to look, how it was supposed to function, God wanted to have a sort of partnership with humans. God created Adam and Eve. And what's one of the first things that Adam does? He names all the animals. That's a sign of authority over the animals, being able to name something. And the Bible means you have a level of authority over it. But God gives authority to the first humans for the purposes of creation flourishing of creation thriving. God creates this world, creates it good, and wants humans to work with God to maintain it, to help it remain good. But what do Adam and Eve do? They cross the one boundary God had placed for them. They usurp God's authority. They take a decision in their own hands that God had not given to them. And from that moment on, human beings are tainted with selfishness. From that moment on, shame starts to creep in. And from that moment on, the world falls. And the unnatural state of the world, as we see it now, it affects the way we make decisions. Every single one of us as human beings. The way we use authority, on its own, it's not natural. It's not what God intended. 
because we too often use it for selfish purposes. We use it to enrich ourselves, to increase our own power. The way we use authority, it's unnatural. So how should authority be used? How do we use it? Well, this is where I think Mark is presenting Jesus as a teacher with authority so that we'll submit to him, but also so that we'll follow in his example. And if you want to answer the question, how should authority be used? The best way is to just look to the example and to ask, how did Jesus use his authority? For what purposes did Jesus use his authority? He has it. Ample authority here in the Gospel of Mark. How does he use it? Well, it's not a trick question. It's actually pretty clear. Jesus goes around using his authority to cast out unclean spirits. He uses it to heal people of illnesses, sickness, and disease. And he ultimately uses it to overcome death. Jesus also never uses his authority simply to gain power for himself or to enrich himself. It's funny in the Gospel of Mark because we're told over and over again that Jesus' fame begins to spread, except for Mark chapter 5, which we talked about last week, where they ask him to leave. Every other time Jesus does his miracle or healing or, or some sort of sign, people begin wanting to tell everybody about it. And what's curious about Mark is that in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus consistently tells people not to say anything. He'll do this healing. He'll do this great wonder. And then he tells somebody, don't tell anyone that I did this. Now they don't listen to him. So his authority is limited, I guess. They go out and they tell everybody. But Jesus keeps trying to tell people not to share anything. It's as though he doesn't want to be famous. He doesn't want everyone to know. He's simply going around making things right, healing people because that's what God wanted for this world. Jesus is going around making the unclean things clean, making the unnatural things natural simply because that is what God wanted for this world. That's how he uses his authority. I think another way of putting this is when Adam and Eve violated God's authority, chaos entered into the world. And I'm defining chaos here as complete disorder and confusion. Sometimes people will talk about chaos as a good thing, but what they're talking about is limited chaos. is a chaos that's in the place of order that leads to order eventually. But chaos is complete disorder and confusion where you don't know what's going on, where things don't make any sense whatsoever, where we don't know what's going to happen and we're always back on our heels. Jesus spends his time in the Gospel of Mark using his authority to put chaos in its place, to constrain it, however it manifests itself, in an unclean spirit, in a disease, in death. He's taking chaos and he's putting it in its place, restoring the order that God had wanted. And I just want to make really clear, this is one of my deepest thoughts ever, okay? Chaos is bad. Just make that very, very clear. Write that one down. It sounds simple, but it's so true. Chaos is bad. Chaos is unnatural. Disorder, confusion, that feeling that you get where you don't know what's about to happen and you're anxious and you're uncertain, it's bad. That's not God's intention for this world. But too often, we human beings 
try to assert our authority in the midst of our own chaos. Out of our sense of confusion, we try to assert our authority and we start trying to control things that are not ours to control. Humans have authority. God's put it in our hands. But we never have unlimited authority. We never have complete authority. And far too often, and this is a tragic truth of the church, Christians will use Jesus's name to gain authority for themselves and then use it in a way that doesn't line up with how Jesus used his authority. People will use Jesus's name because there is power in Jesus's name. They will claim it to gain power, to gain control, but then they use it for selfish pursuits. And as Christians, I really wish we would start being much more skeptical than we are. Just because someone is claiming Jesus's authority does not mean that they are working for the same aims and ends that Jesus was working towards. And I think we should start questioning more. When somebody's claiming Jesus's name, how are they using the authority that's been given to them? Are they using it so that others would thrive as Jesus used his authority? Are they using it so that creation would flourish as Jesus used his authority? Do they use it to help people live the lives God had called them to? Or does the way they use their authority make it easier for people to be abused, to be harmed, to be manipulated and controlled? Those are questions I think all of us as Christians should start asking of others and of ourselves. Because like I said, God has placed authority in your hands. You have spheres of influence where you have control more than you probably realize. How are you using that authority? Is it to make yourself feel more in control, more secure? Or is it to help others flourish, to help others thrive? What guides the decisions that you make? And here's another thing, just a helpful hint I want to leave you all with here. If there is anybody in your life, in any sphere, that wants complete authority, run. That's not ours. God doesn't want us to have complete authority. God does not want you to have complete authority. As human beings, even in the perfect state, Adam and Eve had limited authority. There was a boundary God drew for them. In the fallen state that we live in now, we have to have boundaries. We don't get unlimited authority. We don't get complete control ever. And anyone who doesn't accept those boundaries, who doesn't, isn't willing to share authority, they're not using authority in the way Jesus did, in the way God intended for us. And if that's you, then there's a challenge there for you. At the end of the day, Mark is very, very clear. Jesus is the one who has authority. Any authority that we get comes from him. And whenever you use your authority outside of the purpose that Jesus gave it to you for, well, there's some questions you need to ask yourself. Because the truth is, Jesus is the one who knows best. Jesus is the one who is taking chaos and bringing order out of it. Jesus is the one who is taking unnatural things and making them natural. And we aren't Jesus. I don't know about you, but I know I'm not Jesus. 
I can't grow a full beard. I couldn't be Jesus. So it's this interesting dynamic that we're placed in. We're given this authority. It's limited. And we're meant to use it in the way Jesus wanted. We're not meant to grow it, to increase it. We're meant to use it. And then when the time comes, we hand it back to God. So how will you use the authority Jesus has given you? How will you help others to thrive? How can you make decisions that take chaos and put it right? How can you help others to thrive, help creation to flourish? How can you come alongside Jesus' work of making the unnatural things natural? Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you don't give us complete authority. We thank you that you are the one who is ultimately in control, Lord. But we also thank you that you do give us some areas in which we can make decisions. You give each of us some control, Lord, though we may not feel like it, though oftentimes we feel out of control, though we feel chaos creeping into our lives, Lord, you do give us a level of authority. Help us to use it wisely. Help us to use it for your aims. Help us to use it in the way you used your authority. Help us to bless others with it. Help us to help others flourish. Help us to let creation thrive, Lord. Help us to, in our small little spheres of influence, take the unnatural things and make them natural, Lord, so that this world reflects your intention so that others can have hope in you.
control Consume me from the inside out, Lord Let justice and praise 